Hello, everybody. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. <laughs> and that you are listening to A Date with Dateline. And I did our intro differently, and that freaks Katie out every time. I like it when you say hello. It's very formal. Hello. Hello. One announcement for our Patreons and Supercasters who like us so much that they want to hear us make mistakes and pay for it. We will be doing our monthly live stream this coming Sunday. Oh, boy. Yeah. Gobble, so gobble. Join us when you're sick of your relatives. Yeah. And then come get sick of us. Yeah, we'll be here. So this episode is a very special murder mystery. A murder mystery? A murder mystery. It's mm -hmm. called The Murdoch Murders Inside the Investigation. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the case of Alec, Alex, Elec, Murdoch, 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 you may want to go back to our previous episodes on March 8th of 2023 and November 3rd of 2021. You can listen to those. And then you might want to, if you want to know more about the case, the definitive podcast that our listeners like to listen to is what was called the Murdoch Murders podcast is now called True Sunlight. And they've been doing just minute by minute coverage. So. We're just covering what Dateline covered, and then Katie does have some outside info because she watches a lot of YouTube about the case. I do. One specific YouTube, but it's very detailed, so I do have a little bit of extra on this. Also, I did watch part of the trial. Yeah, she was into it. I was. And I also watched all the documentaries on it. She loves the trial. This gal loves the trial. So this episode aired on November 17th, 2023. It was season 32, episode 15th, and it's hosted by Craig Melvin, our Hi, favorite stand-in, who is an alternate juror host of there we go. Dateline. And sometimes I call him Kelvin because his name is Craig Melvin, but I'm going to try to just call him Craig Melvin. I love him. He's a great interviewer, and he's very different than our other hosts. I enjoy Craig Melvin. I love him. I love he's him. He's growing on me more him. and more I as we've been through this whole case with him. On the Today Show, he seems very delightful. I've seen him in some behind-the-scenes stuff. He's great. Craig tells us, and we are telling you the exact same thing. You may think you've heard it all, but you've never seen this. So first of all, they're doing, they do like 10 minutes of exposition at the beginning or not really exposition, but like stuff we're going to see. And coming up. Coming, don't watch that. Yeah. Fast forward They're that doing stuff. that a lot more lately. And people mm -hmm. are getting annoyed with Lester because they feel like he's sharing way too much about the case. And I have been annoyed with Lester since he started wearing Mankey's outfits and ditched his vest. But He's just doing his job. Again, Lester's not writing this. Someone's no. giving Lester a script. And yeah, they're giving so him a little we... extra air, air time or voice over time. So Craig calls Alec in this pre-package thing. Alec is the most daunting adversary law enforcement ever faced. And I was like, him? No, we saw Attic Cheese Margie or Marjorie. No, she was daunting. She was daunting. This is Alexander the snot face. Alexander the snotty. Why? Because remember last episode during his trial, it was just met rivers of snot flowing I down do. his face. I do remember that. Craig tells us the air down south feels different before it rains. Thick, heavy, ominous. And I was like, Craig, you fin and great because I yeah. love when a Dateline host waxes poetic about the weather. Also, I did want to start counting how many times Craig says low country. 
But then it didn't turn out to be as many as I thought it would be. It was like four oh, really? or five. Oh. And I thought it would be like nine or ten. South Carolina's low country is a watery landscape, often admired for its beauty. I don't love the term watery landscape. I think it reminds me of spaghetti, where the marinara sauce has gotten kind of watery, like at Bob's Big Boy. Oh. And it's not good, at, or like a watery grave. There are I lots think I of- just think of mosquitoes. Yeah. A watery landscape means that there's you're wearing, you got to wear some sort of deet or yeah. something. It's also, though, one of the poorest places in the state of South Carolina. However, the Murdochs live a very different life. And now Craig is channeling Josh Mankiewicz, who loves the line, police heard a very different story. So also, if you're new to this story, the Murdochs, they're very rich. That's what he's trying to say. They're very rich. They're a bunch of rich redheads. And they sort of have a monopoly over the area when it comes to law. Yes. They are all lawyers and they are a long, long generation upon generation lineage of lawyers. So they're pretty intimidating. And we're getting some a lot of new interviews in this episode, including yeah. from Blanca to Rubiate Simpson. And she met Alec Murdoch like decades ago when she needed help with a legal case. And then she did Spanish translating work for him. And then he ended up hiring her to work as a housekeeper at their estate, Moselle, which I thought Mm -hmm. was just this fancy name that they randomly gave to the estate. But it's the road. It's It's the road. Does it actually mean something? I'm sure it does because someone in the town named that street that. Unless the estate came first and then the street came after and then the street was named after the road it's a river oh it's a river it's a river in europe oh that doesn't help us what does the french word moselle mean oh it's also a type of white wine okay produced in the valley of the river i have no idea why this is called moselle especially because it is like they're hunting estate. I don't know why the street's called Moselle. Everybody listen to True Sunlight because Mandy has probably figured it out. So Blanca says she loved working with the Murdoch. She said Alec never made her feel like hired help, which is his thing. He's just a good old boy who could buy and sell your entire family. Yeah, that's scarier to me, though. It is. So she became very close to Alec's wife, Maggie. And people often thought Maggie was standoffish, but she wasn't with Blanca. She had a loud laugh and would joke around. She also wanted everything to be very perfect in the home and was a Southern belle. Now, son Paul was a jokester and had a good heart. And at this point, I'm starting to realize that Blanca maybe doesn't know the Murdochs as well as she thinks she does. Spoiler alert. I think Blanca knew them in a different way. She knew them in a different way. I don't think she knows what Paul was like around his friends, for example. Maybe not. The night of June 7th, 2021 was when this became a story on a national stage, and which was the night that Alec called 911 and said that his wife, Maggie, and his youngest son, Paul, had been shot dead. And we are meeting one of the stars of the investigatory team of this, David Owens, Agent David Owens of the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, otherwise known as SLED. 
Sled. Because don't you think that's how, if they had commercials or they have like informational information training videos, they go like, sled. I think that they use sled in the same way that the FBI announces themselves. Yeah. FBI. Yeah. FBI, get on the ground. Sled, get on the ground. I can see it. And it is catchy. Yeah, it is. I'll give them that. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so good. Sled takes over the case right away because this family is so high profile in the low country. Mazelle is the crime scene and it is 1,700 acres with a Oof. cabin, dog kennels, and a full-on landing strip. Tons of law wow. enforcement were on the property that night and Agent Owens is trying to be polite, but you know he doesn't love what the initial sheriff's department did when they got to the crime scene. And he's trying very nice not to say anything too mean on Dateline. So That's good. we're seeing the interview, the investigation from mostly his perspective. And it starts when they pull Alexander the Snotty into Agent Owen's F, F, his big sled van, his sled, he pulls him into his SUV sled mm-hmm. and sits sled him UV. in the front. Is that what you're trying to get to? Sled, sled UV? Sled UV. And he and interviews him in the car, which is one of about 17 important interviews that happen in the front seat of this SUV in this investigation. It's not just that SUV. It's multiple sled UVs. It's all sled UVs. It's like they have a mobile, like a mobile dog grooming service. They have a mobile interviewing suspects service. I have to say, I don't hate it. And I'm, I'll I like tell it. you why. I think it's because the sound is really good because they're in a compact space. Mm-hmm. So uh, automatically you can hear what everyone says and you can get really close up on their face as well because the camera is right next to them. The camera's up on the visor. So you can get really, you can see if there are actual tears almost yep. instead of a normal interview where we're like trying to figure out. Hey, just a few weeks ago, we had the Rangers and they kept putting their hat and their giant forearms in front of the camera and you couldn't see if there were real tears. I much prefer this. The bigger question I had is in this first interview, Alex is not the only one that gets into the car. No, there are the two people in the vaccine. I think those are other sled- sledders. I don't think so. I think those are his lawyers. Oh, it could be. I think those are friends. Remember, he yeah, calls he a did ton a of people. Yeah. From day from the first night and the next week, he had people at the house with him, mm-hmm. like friends that are lawyers. So that's probably true. I think the one on right behind him in the passenger side is his brother. And then I think the other one with his shirt sort of unbuttoned, like he just got the call and had to run over. I think he is a lawyer. Mm. Maybe not his lawyer, but a lawyer. Yeah, a lawyer. (laughs) Now, Craig Melvin gets to sit in that infamous seat in the sled UV. And Mm -hmm. I was hoping they had wiped on that seat because Alec always looks like he has swamp butt because it's swampy out in the low country. Yeah. It's a watery whatever. What do you say? A watery hellhole? Watery landscape. (laughs) I'm sure it's lovely. It looks beautiful. There are some parts that look, there's some B-roll in this where the amount of green like, you just don't see that in Southern yeah, California. it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's like a crayon green. Yeah, but I would be swampy. So uh, my hair would be so frizzy. So, it's a trade-off. You get green. Yeah. But you're swampy. Alec had mentioned that night in his interview that the murders were maybe payback 
for this years earlier boat crash where his son Paul was drunk with his friends and this poor teenage girl Mallory Beach was killed. And mm. Blanca, the housekeeper, said that after the crash, the mood in the house was kind of somber sometimes, a little bit, but they tried to keep their spirits up. Now, I love Blanca, but if I'm Mallory's family watching this, I would be horrified that the mood was down a little bit, but they tried to keep their spirits up after. Yeah, because how do you think the mood was in the beach household? Exactly. Uh, But then you think she's turning it around because Blanca says Maggie was struggling because Paul was in trouble and that's her baby boy. And I thought you meant to say that she's struggling because Mallory was someone's baby girl. Correct. That's what she meant to say. But I love you, Blanca. It just doesn't look great for them. So Paul was facing 55 years in prison for the crash. And Maggie was feeling alienated in society. People that she thought were her friends abandoned her. And the name, the family name was tarnished and were crying a Moselle River of no tears for them. But Alec had suggested the murders could be payback. And he hasn't heard of any direct threats from family members of the boat victims, but there's been a small amount of yip-yap between a couple of them. I didn't like that. Alex, all of his interviews really get me. That is so dismissive of family members of children who were traumatized for life and a family who lost a child. Is it just that he's out of touch? I'm trying to like boil down what the issue is with him in these interviews. I was trying to look at it like if I pretend to not know what I know now, if I'm when I watch this episode, something gives me the ick and I mm-hmm. don't know what it is about him. And Yip Yap, which normally you and I would be very charmed by Yip Yap. Yeah. Yip Yap sounds delightful. It sounds real yucky when Alex says it. Yep, because it'd be like if I talked on date on our podcast about how family members were yip yapping about how their family member died. Yeah, it's too casual. Interestingly enough, well, we'll get to it, but I didn't find the same ick factor from his brothers who came from the same family, but I couldn't, yeah. I only got two seconds of them, so that's not okay, really fair. Okay, okay, So SLED, yeah, everyone's yelling at me right now. They're like, listen to Mandy's podcast. So SLED really investigated the boat family aspect right away, but they were able to eliminate everyone. And this is about when the nationwide news picks up this story. And we do see a reporter saying low country. (laughs) And I was like, yes, it's happening. But then it kind of stopped after that. So we're also meeting the chief of SLED, Mark Keel, who I think they might call SLEDhead. That's what I would call him. But I don't know. I think they they literally call him chief. (laughs) Chief. But behind his back, maybe? If you sound like Sam Elliott and are (laughs) sort of like a silver stallion, I don't want to say silver fox because I feel like that's not correct. A silver stallion. And you're the chief of this law enforcement agency and you walk around in a crisp white shirt, Mm -hmm. they just call you, hey, chief. Hey, chief. But everyone's really intimidated by him. He joked sure. that the calls started coming in right away from everyone across the country, including Dateline. And Craig Melvin says, thank you for answering the phone once or twice. And it was, was very cute. cute. And he showed his dimples. It was very cute. 
Days after the murder, Sled interviews Alec's brothers, John and Randy, also in the front seat of a car. At this point, I did start to think what is going on at Sled's offices. Are they hoarders and are too embarrassed to have people over? Because Um, of the cars? No, I'm telling you, I think it's a smart way. I think they actually did it once on accident and then after that said, you know, we should do all of our interviews like this. Yeah. We get crisp, clear sound. We can see the 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 real reaction on their face. It puts you in right tight, intimate quarters. And it's true because when you're in a car with someone like that, it does feel sort of like you're talking to a friend in a car. You know, they do it on Cold Justice all the time. Kelly Siegler does it. They do? Yes, all the time. Oh, there we go. You're and right. she's Southern as well. And you approve of her methods. Oh, yeah. So there you go. Also, at this point, I did say that we need to start Fashion Police early because there's this photo of Alec and family and Alec and the two sons, Buster and Paul, are wearing checked shirts. And what is it called? Gingham. Gingham. And in these interviews with Alec's brothers, one is wearing a checked shirt with the alligator little emblem on it. Lacoste. Lacoste. And Mm -hmm. one is wearing a polo emblem on it. And then later they bring in Buster and he's wearing a checked shirt with the polo. So he's combining his two uncles looks into it. Now, speaking of pure class, let's talk about wine delivery. Yes. Did you know that when you buy wine today, most of your money goes to things like fancy packaging, big budget marketing campaigns, and tax? Okay, that's wild, and I don't like it. So we are really excited that this podcast is sponsored by Naked Wines. Naked Wines is a subscription service that seamlessly connects you to the finest independent winemakers on the planet. So you get a box of the market's best quality wines, however often you'd like, for a fraction of the price you'd normally pay in stores. So how is Naked Wines making this happen? Naked Wines connects winemakers and everyday wine drinkers, like you and me, directly, allowing for the vineyard-to-your-door delivery at up to 60% off what you'd pay in a store. They are just cutting out the traditional retail middlemen costs and markups. Winemakers can now pass those savings on to you without skimping on quality. Naked Wines has been around for over 10 years and funds over 90 independent winemakers. With no commitments or membership fees, you can enjoy Naked Wines completely hassle-free. You'll get exclusive access to hundreds of top quality, award-winning wines at significant savings, making Naked Wines perfect for any type of wine drinker. Even me, someone who really wants to be able to gift a good bottle for the holidays, but feel like they just don't have the knowledge. Now I can literally give the gift of, hey, wine drinker in my life, you really need to check out NakedWines.com and give them the gift of a good bottle and also a great company that can deliver wine directly to them at a much lower cost. I mean, the wine is so good and it's such a good deal. I just tried the Rabbit and Spaghetti Shiraz, described as a cold weather comfort wine. Yeah, yes, please. It's great for just bundling up with a good plate of cheese. Needless to say, completely delicious. And I feel like I am maybe starting to learn something about wine. And the best part of Naked Wines to me is that every bottle is a passion project from an independent winemaker. So you are literally making an independent winemaker's dream come true. And they get a fair and sustainable deal. So do you. 
So head to nakedwines.com slash date dateline and click enter voucher in the top right when you get to the website. Enter date dateline for both the code and the password and get six bottles of wine for just $39.99 with shipping included in that $39.99. That's $100 off and less than $7 per bottle. That's nakedwines.com slash date dateline. Click enter voucher, date dateline as the code and the password. Grab six bottles for just $39.99. Nakedwines.com slash date dateline, code and password, date dateline for $100 off your first six bottles. Thank you so much, Naked Wines, for helping me be a responsible and very intelligent wine drinker this holiday season. Check them out, everybody. The only kind of nakedness that I approve of. Thank you so much, Naked Wines. Getting back to the Murdoch men's shirts, I'd like to say sus camisas son elegantes porque ellas tienen animales en ellas, which means their shirts are very fancy because they have animals on them. Yes. And I'd also like to say los Murdochs son muy, muy Pelirrojos, which means redheads. True. They are very, very redheaded. Pelirrojos. With Babbel's 10-minute-a-day lessons that are designed by real language experts, you can start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Now, for those of you counting, that means that if you start studying at Thanksgiving, 10 minutes a day, by Christmas, you can diss your entire family in another language and they will have no idea. Mm-hmm. Babbel really works because it's all conversation-based and it's real-life situation-based. It's none of this biblioteca nonsense, unless you actually use biblioteca in your normal dialogue, and some people probably do. So (gasps) I think you and your sibling that you like the most should learn the basics of maybe German, and then you can diss your jerk uncle all through Christmas and he'll have no idea. One of my dreams of life is to learn a language with Oliver so we can just break into it if needed at any given time. I think you need to. I'm going to be doing it with the help of Babbel. I think that gossiping in another language really brings a couple together. You bet. If you do it, it will be hilarious, a.k.a. gracioso, which, ding, that's the sound Babbel gives you when you get an answer right in their lessons. Yay! Their lessons are like word matching, or you listen and repeat the audio, or you unscramble words. It's literally all the different ways that your brain works, so it hits you in different ways. Studies show that using Babbel for only 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college, which is time-saving and money-saving. Money-saving. How much money? College is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and Babbel is not. Here is a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash date dateline. Again, that's 55% off at babbel.com slash date dateline. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash date dateline. Rules and restrictions may apply. Thank you, Babbel. Gracias. Gracias. Thank you, Babbel. Learn how to babble in another language. Also, ¿dónde está la biblioteca? <laughs> A la derecha. Gracias. <laughs> 
So Alec's brothers take the seat for their front seat interviews. And each of them, first of all, separately mentioned that when they heard the news that night, they each called their prospective closest law enforcement friends because that yeah. sounds about white. <laughs> and That was wild. Also, they do mention several times that they're being interviewed simultaneously. Yes, they were, didn't want anybody to be able to talk to anybody. No. So two different sled UVs. Yes. Two brothers. Are getting. Uh, but are they in the same parking lot? <laughs> right next to each other and they just wave. <laughs> I'm dying to know. So Alec had called them that night in a total panic. And both brothers seem genuinely upset and are crying. Yes. I would appear to be real tears in their front seat interviews. Yes. And one of them says that Paul was an asset and a joy. And they both say Paul made some bad decisions regarding that boat crash. That's an understatement. And that he put his friends in a bad situation with grave circumstances, grave consequences. But mm. Paul is a wonderful kid and he would give you the shirt off his back. His polo. His polo shirt. shirt. Sorry, no, and we shouldn't be saying anything. Paul... I mean, seriously, rest in peace. It's sad. Yes, yeah, he did not deserve this. No, and no he, matter what no. he did, in he was a, boat. a kid. Too. No one deserves to be killed by their father. No, God. So they both say that Alec and Maggie were happy together and did not have any marital troubles. Now, Sled also at the same time brings in Buster in his checked polo shirt and khakis, and mm -hmm. Buster is by far the gingeriest ginger of all the Murdochs. Yes, and he, for some reason, in his sled mobile interview, he is, I didn't even mean that. I meant mobile, like a mobile interview, like a job, but it turned into sled mobile. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Kismet. But the camera is so close to him, it's almost touching his red forehead. They put it on the wrong visor. They did. It's so hard to see if there are real tears or any facial expressions. You just see all you can lines. see is a shock of red. Yeah, it, the other ones are great because Agent David Owen knows you got to put it on the driver's side visor mm -hmm. and face it that way. But somebody was like, "Oh, we'll just put it here." That guy Why? got fired, and does it doesn't deserve to wear the sled name? Look, they're doing all of these interviews simultaneously. We find out right now. So there's four major interviews going on. Buster might be the last on the. I'm saying it might, like, as far as good agents go, oh. the best one's with Alec, and then we're on a sliding scale, maybe. Buster might be involved in someone else's murder. But we don't know that, that at this but point. But we don't know that. They but don't know that yet. He mm -hmm. deserves a better sled, sled agent. And again, listen to True Sunlight for more information on that. Or that HBO documentary. Or the Netflix Which I believe one. is called Low Country. <laughs> is it really? Yes. That's why I keep laughing every time you say it. I'm like, you know, there's a whole thing called Low Country, right? No, because I always see the Netflix one pop up because I'm never on HBO. So the Netflix one oh, always okay. pops up and that one's just called Murdoch, Murder, Scandal, something like that. Oh, okay. So yeah, definitely watch the HBO, the Max one. Definitely watch Low Country. It's very good. Buster tells Sled that some people disliked Paul from the boat accident and that Paul was probably the intended victim of the attack, not Maggie. Meanwhile, since the murders, 
Alec had moved out of the family home on Moselle and asked Blanca to stay there for him, which is kind of like you thought it was dangerous, maybe, and you were sad to be there, but you're making the housekeeper stay there. She was scared and brought her own gun for protection. And she also kept the house in a very nice, she cleaned up the house and kept it nice the way Maggie would want it. She was very devoted to Maggie. and. It's sad. It's very sad. A few days after the murders, Sled interviews Alec again in the front seat in a striped shirt. I'm sorry. I thought that they said that this was also it. They said it that this is the same time that his brothers and son are being interviewed. I didn't get that. But when you said it, I was like, sure, that makes sense. But I, I did not get that part. So I'm not sure about that. But regardless, he's wearing a striped shirt with a different emblem on the crest. The sled agent at this point was Owens is in a check shirt. And I thought, is he trying to win Alex's trust somehow? Like a subconscious? I'm wearing a check shirt. You always wear check shirts. But then Alex shows up in a striped shirt. And he's like, damn it. Could be. Or they're just real popular in the low country. That's just I think they're real popular in the low country. Alex says that after dinner that night, he fell asleep on the couch while Maggie and Paul went down to the dog kennels on the property. And he woke up at 9 p.m., drove to his mom's house 20 minutes away to check on her. And then he drove back and he found their bodies. And Mm. then he says something interesting that got their attention. I'm a defendant. I'm a defendant. He said defendant? He's a defendant in a civil case with Mallory's family and some of the other boat families about the boat crash. It's a wrongful death case. Mm -hmm. And there were motions in three days, and he had been preparing for them. So the opposing lawyer was demanding his financial records to see how much he was worth because they want, obviously, a settlement. And all in three days, all of Alex's financial records would be coming to light. Mm-hmm. Maggie told Blanca she felt like Alec was hiding things about this case and maybe about financials. Mm-hmm. And she, Blanca says Maggie was very upset over the lawsuit because they were being sued for $30 million. And where are they going to get that kind of money? And I love Blanca, but she is unfortunately, again, making it seem like the money and the lawsuit was more troubling to Maggie than Mallory's murder. And I don't think that was the truth. I'm just saying that's how it's coming across on Dateline. Oh, it didn't read to me immediately that way until you're saying it. So if that helps it's, Blanca at all. Okay. But I'm not quite sure that $30 million is an accurate number. I'm wondering if that was Maggie exaggerating. They're going to sue us for $50 million. It's not well, $30 million, were, but There are other people in the lawsuit, too. It wasn't just him. So maybe it was 30 altogether? Who else are they suing? They're not just suing Paul and Alec? They're suing Alec. They're suing... That bar, their liquor store that sold the oh, kids. So alcohol. it's like a thirty million dollar um, overall. Okay, okay, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So then we hear about a man named Rogan Gibson. First name Rogan, like the last name of Joe, or the first name of the dad on succession, but with an R. Hmm. And we're seeing Rogan's front seat interview. And at this point, I started thinking of that HBO show from years ago called Taxi Cab Confessions. Oh, yeah. And this is that, but it's front seat confessions. 
Wait, this camera is on the, the passenger side, the passenger flap as well. You're right, but he was leaning maybe farther back than Buster, or maybe the seat was farther back, because we're getting most of his face. Okay, now it's making sense, Buster's sort of non-emotional stuff. I think Buster was leaned way far forward and tense in that interview when we're seeing mm. Buster days after. Also, why is Craig saying the name Rogan Gibson like we're supposed to know it? Have we heard that name before? We have heard about his dog, but we have... Craig is going in with Craig and Dateline have a very defensive attitude because they know they're going to get tweets. We've heard all about this case, Dateline. Why do we have to watch this again? Which was many of the tweets and Instagram comments. So they have preemptively started this episode by like, we know, we know you've heard all about it. There's lots of stuff you haven't heard. And so this, I think he's being like, you've probably heard him. I know you've heard him, but you've never seen this interview with the police before. So Rogan is wearing a checked is not wearing a checked alligator or polo shirt, but a t-shirt that says fouled up outdoors, F-O-W-L-E-D, yeah. which I Googled. It is apparently a southern hunting. duck and goose hunting company. Yeah, that makes sense. It's got to be yes. duck hunting. Rogan was boarding his dog at the Moselle Kennels, and Paul called him that night at 844, mm -hmm. which is right kind of before the murders. And in the background, Rogan heard Maggie and Mr. Ellick. And at this point, we learn that Rogan is an Ellick man. Some people are Alec men, some people are Alex men, and some people are Ellick men. Ellick is the accent. Ellick is the accent. I would say because Craig is an Alec, but Craig yeah. does not have an accent that I can No, hear. but Craig is from the South. I believe. But he does. He no longer has his area. accent if he ever had one. No. But Rogan has a thick South Carolina accent and he's Mr. Ellick, Mr. Ellick, Mr. Ellick. Yeah, Miss and Maggie. Unfortunately, it also rubs off on Agent Owen, who pretty much the minute he starts saying Ellick also refers to him as Ellick. And I don't think he does that regularly. I think he's only doing it when he's talking to Rogan because he's. But you know what that him. is? That's a G yes, a mirroring. Mm -hmm. That's a genius interview tactic. It's very smart. So he is 99% sure that it was Alec that he heard in the background on the Mr. phone Alec. that night. Mr. Alec. And this is when according to Alec, Alec, Alexander the Snotty, he was supposed to be asleep on the couch. So it would be a lie. But unfortunately, Rogan is the only one who heard this call. So that's not exactly proof so finally alec is brought into the sled office and i was like yay alec you've been bumped up from the car he's crying before they even start the interview in his polo shirt and they tell him hey someone heard you on the phone that night at the dog kennels and he says that he had heard that rogan thought that it was him but it wasn't him so he identifies Rogan as the person. Is this new? We've not seen this, right? Yeah, this is new. This was shocking. So he immediately is like, I told Rogan. <gasps> yeah. Nobody said Rogan. Well, that's because he knew Rogan had said that. I don't think that's really anything special because Rogan had maybe told it to him or everyone was talking about how Rogan had 
heard um, him on the phone. We are told that Rogan in his second interview with Sled is kind of sketchy on if he heard Mr. Alec or not. Well, I think Mr. Alec tried to get to him. That's what I'm and- saying. That's what this implies when he's saying his name. It's like, yeah, Rogan and I have talked about this and we don't. Right. <laughs> I offered him $20,000 to misremember that it wasn't me on the phone. We tried to get our story straight is basically what he's saying. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. So he tells Owens, the sled guy, it wasn't me on the phone. And Owens says, did you kill Maggie? And Alex says, no. Did I kill my wife? No, David. And do you know who did it? No, I do not know who did it. Killers don't use contractions. Not a contraction Pretty in plus sight. more on Twitter would is she's just going to be so thrilled with this. And then he doubles down and says, no, I did not kill Paul. And then he triples down. No, I do not know who did. So he tr- thrice. So many times. He, thrice he does not use contractions. No, sight six times. Yeah. That's six. No, five or six. Sight. Anytime he does not use one contraction, that's bad. No. You did it. That could just be the way he talks, being a lawyer. I don't know. But a guilty lawyer. When Owens walks him out, and we don't see this part, Alex said, David, I understand why you have to ask these questions, and I want to thank you for doing your job. And like shook his hand. He's a slimy SOB. Yeah, he's slimy. That's super slime. You know Owens washed his hand like 10 times after that. Uh And Owen thinks he did it. But without any hard evidence, Sled's case is going downhill fast. Thank you. I'm here all night. Try the veal. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't. Ew. So meanwhile, Blanca is staying at Moselle and bringing Alec his laundry and food to the house where he's staying. I don't know why they... It was... I don't know. I just like Blanca. I feel bad for Blanca. So. That's the only reason I'm including it. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. She really thinks she knows this family. Yeah. She's known them for a long time. You would think you would, but you never know anybody. Then Alec calls 911 again to say, I got a flat on the side of the road and then, oh, someone shot me in the head. This is Labor Day. So how far out are we? We're like three more weeks ahead now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So sled agent Kelly goes to see Alec in the hospital, and he's fine for a gunshot wound to the head. He's like in better health than I am. Okay, again, if you and don't, Kimberly is not going into detail on this story. If you do not know this story, you need to go back and listen to our previous episodes about the gunshot on the side of the road. It's really wild. It's yeah. bizarre. So Kelly goes to Alec's car where he supposedly got this flat tire, and the tire has a slit in it the size of a pocket knife. And then with metal detectors, because sled are expert detectorists, we love a metal detectorist, they find a pocket knife near the car, they test it for DNA, and it matches Alec. So he flattened his own tire, and then hubris got him. He just threw the pocket knife into the field, and they found it. Also, are these the kind of tires, didn't they tell us last time that these are the kind of tires that self-inflate? It's something weird, right? You oh, can't yeah, get a flat tire in these tires. That's we learned about that. I remember being so excited when mm-hmm. we learned about that. Yeah. Because I did not know such technology existed. They did not bring that up this time, but I feel like it was important to remember that that happened. Such fancy technology. I still am not quite sure that it's a real thing. 
I don't know how it works. I think it means that your car comes with a person who will just blow into your tires for you if they go flat. Like you actually, it comes with a person. I'm sure we went into this last time, but I'm still confused by the technology. I'm still yeah. neither of us have looked it up. So, all right. It's no. Fine. <laughs> no. Great. So next in the saga, Alec tells Sled that he's been addicted to opioids for 20 years and he was going into rehab for it. Now, Blanca had known that he had maybe had some drug issues. Sorry, stop. And she felt Why like- does this come yeah. up? Why is he telling them that he's addicted to opiates at this point? Is it because they figured out the thing about the tires? Yes. They are on to him about the tires. They also trace this whole incident back to this guy, Curtis, who worked for him. And Curtis Eddie they're Smith. getting really suspicious. And then Alec decides his best bet is to pull a Hollywood actor and go to rehab. I'm going to rehab because... Blame the whole thing on drugs. Okay. Or exhaustion. <laughs> and he says, yes, that whole thing was fake on the side of the road. So he says, I'm going to rehab. And his lawyer, Dick Harputlian, who is also a state senator, not a senator, but a state senator... <laughs> That's for you, Oscar, from The Office. Yeah. And also, Dick goes by Poot, because Hartpootlian, <laughs> and that's a terrible nickname, because that's farting. But I love it. Poot. So he arranges a phone interview between Alec and Sled. And Alec starts it by saying, I want to apologize to you for lying to you at the hospital. <laughs> He's so smarmy. Oh, the sickly so, sweet thing is really yeah. just... There's something, and I think it's because we've discussed it before, but Alex Murdoch has a little boy face, yeah. little boy face that grew up into a man all of a sudden. And so- Doughy, Chad Daybell face. But like- Pasty. But if you put his face on a baby, it would still work. It's weird. Yeah. It's a really weird phenomenon that's happening with him. There were like a Pixar movie with a little boy that had a- adult lawyer face, but it was an adult lawyer body, but a baby face on it. Yeah, it's too much. Like, it's too much baby. It makes sense. Like it's when people say baby face, it's usually a good thing, but in this case it's kind of a weird thing. But yeah. Also, when he does this like sickly sweet business, it's worse. Because you can picture him sort of shrugging and doing this and so now that's poor country lawyer thing. It, yeah. SNL just did a skit, an opening skit about baby boy face, but it was in a funny, cute way. Like how a lot of actors have it, but we don't mean it in that same way. So if anyone saw that, he doesn't thing, look like Jude Law. About. Does that help? No, it's, it's not like not... Timothy Chalamet. Right? No, it's face. not Justin Timberlake. It's yeah, yeah, no. So he says that basically, in essence, here's what happened: the roadside shooting was a suicide attempt mm -hmm. because he had recently been caught embezzling from his law firm. And was sad about Maggie and Paul. So he asked his ex-employee slash drug dealer, Curtis, to shoot him on the side of the road in a way that looked like a murder so that Buster, his living son, could still collect insurance money. Which was $10 million. Alec needs a story worth subscription because he has all the stories. Can you imagine the generations of tales? 
please no one buy him a story worth subscription in prison. Story worth it for people with like real stories, like Joni. Heartwarming stories or exciting stories. This holiday season, a perfect gift for anyone that has ever met a Murdoch. Someone get Blanca a story worth subscription. Yes. Or if you haven't met a Murdoch, everyone needs a story worth subscription because everyone is so unique and special and so are their stories. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your family preserve precious memories for years to come. Every week, StoryWorth will email your relative or your friend, whoever you get the subscription for, a thought-provoking question from a pool of questions like, what's the craziest thing you've ever done to get out of a criminal lawsuit? Or who's the most vulnerable client that you've ever stolen money from? No, just kidding. <laughs> it would be questions like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? And then Alec would say, I'm not familiar with that word. Oh, boy. I don't understand the question, and I won't and respond, I won't respond to, it. to it. After a year, StoryWorth compiles all of your loved ones' stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake book. Now, as we all know, Joni has been doing StoryWorth for so long, and she extends it every year because she just keeps having stories to tell. And I think she's on her third or fourth year now. It's going to be gone with the wind. It's going to be one of those Encyclopedia Britannicas on my shelf. It is. It's going to be like 1985 <laughs> to 1987. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, I want to reiterate that this makes the best gift for someone that you think you've heard all of their stories, because I guarantee you, you haven't. Right. And these questions will prompt you to hear stories that you had no idea about. And it's also a great gift for someone that maybe lives far away that you don't get to keep in touch with because you can get emailed their answers every week. And that is such a beautiful way to stay in touch. Guarantee if you give this gift, you will get tears. The good kind. Oh, yeah. It is a beautiful gift. With StoryWorth, we're giving those that we love a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. So go to StoryWorth.com slash date dateline and save $10 on your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com slash date dateline to save $10 on your first purchase. S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H. Thank you, StoryWorth, because all of our stories are worth something precious. That is the truth. Thank you, StoryWorth. Katie, do redheads living in the low country have different hair needs than a newly dyed redhead slash former bleach blonde living in a metropolis? How dare you? And yes, most of you have probably heard us singing the praises of pros and their truly custom made-to-order hair care. Switching to a custom routine from Pros was one of the best things I've done for my hair, and the results I'm seeing just keep getting better. Pros has made a huge difference in my hair over the years. I used to absolutely consider my hair a big problem. But since using my Pros hair care products, my hair is easier to manage because it's just plain in better shape. It's stronger and smoother, which is a tall order seeing I bleached my hair on a bi-monthly basis for almost a decade. To get started with pros, there's an in-depth hair quiz, which back then I'm pretty sure I always checked every box in regards to having damaged dry hair type. But pros knows that there's more to you than just your hair type. Pros has given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, and the quiz really gets to know your exact hair, and also what internal and external environmental factors your hair lives in, i.e. your zip code and your diet. 
By analyzing over 85 personal factors, Pros handpicks clean, sustainably sourced ingredients that get you closer to your hair goals with every single wash, or in my case, every wash, every condition, and every hair oil. My favorite feature is Pro's review and refine tool, which lets me tweak my formulas for any reason. So if I change up my address, yep. My hair color, yep. Which means I am on my third or fourth review and refine at this point. Needless to say, I love this feature. And as a carbon neutral certified B Corp, Pros is an industry leader in clean and responsible beauty. All of their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty free. They're also the first custom beauty brand to go carbon neutral. But if you're not 100% positive Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, that's fine. They'll take the products back, no questions asked. So what are you waiting for? Custom made-to-order hair care from Pros has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 50% off your first subscription order today. Plus 15% off and free shipping on every subscription order after that. So go to pros.com slash date with dateline. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash date with dateline for your free in-depth hair consultation and 50% off your first subscription order. What are you waiting for? It's going to be a new year soon, and I think it's probably time to strike a pros. Pros, 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 pros. Thank you so much, pros. Thank you, pros. So Alec is charged with insurance fraud and filing a false police report for that whole shooting in the head incident. Also, they do show us the the bullet wound in the head. It's minimal. I still don't totally understand. The sled guy said it like... Went around? went around the skull. Did it go through his head? Inside the skull. It went into the bottom of his skull and then around the shape of the skull and then out through the top. So it was inside his head, right? That's what I I got from it. But I always thought it was just like a scratch. Like he went off the top and it just took a little nick out of the top of his skull. But I do remember them saying he had a, there was like a bone shatter. Something, it did hit bone. It did? I thought so. I don't remember. Guys, it looks so small in the picture. Listen so maybe Manny. we're just not seeing how intense it is, but it. No, they say he seemed fine. Yeah, he really does seem fine. It's not what you imagine when someone says, I was shot in the head. It's, it's the opposite of what you picture. It's the best possible outcome to that scenario. Correct. So Blanca hears about this and she is devastated because that's not the man she knew. Blanca, I don't think you knew him that well. I think he was probably pretty nice to Blanca. He was nice to a lot of people. Right. And I think a lot of people. It's hard to see that if someone's just always nice to you and then all of a sudden you hear all this horrible stuff about them. You're like, huh? Mm-hmm. Oy. Soon it comes out that there's more stuff. He was scheming and stealing millions from his partners at the law firm and his vulnerable clients. Oh, no. Okay. So this is all bad, but they still need proof that he killed Maggie and Paul. And they still can't get into Paul's phone. And I was like, Sled can't just get into a phone. This is why Apple and the government are always fighting over privacy laws. Mm -hmm. And you'll read something about it and go, that doesn't affect me. But then you watch a dateline and you think, this affects us all. Is this new, by the way? 
Did we know about this before? No, this is all new. This is how this is stuff is new about the phone. Okay, yeah. All the stuff that's really behind the scenes inside baseball of how they did the investigation is new. Because this is the first time Sled is really talking with in detail. That's what I thought too. I couldn't remember if we'd met Agent Owens before or not. But no, this is pretty much all new. So agents are worried that too many wrong tries could lock the phone. So they reach out to the Secret Service. What? Because they have all the inside scoop. And they say, well, we have a software company that could do it, but it could take seven years. How does Secret Service have the same issues getting into a phone as jealous girlfriend trying to find out if her man is cheating? It's going to take years. I could lock the phone. I'm going to have to pay somebody shady to do it. Can't Sled and the Secret Service just get into a phone? It shouldn't be this hard for them. I don't think they can. I think that's what this privacy. I don't think that they're able to do it. I think what the other people are doing. I I shouldn't say they should be able to. I'm not saying what side I am. There we go. Let's just put that out there. But this, what they say, we're sending it to a company with software. So they're sending it to a hacker. Yeah. And so the hacker is going to do what they do in sneakers or whatever movie and plug it into a computer (laughs) where it's running all the possible combinations of numbers to do, depending on if he has a five point pin or whatever. And it's going to take seven years. That feels. That feels long. What kind of processor do they have? Is this from like war games? But then what's going to happen right now is somebody that's a scientist or a math person is going to be like, well, if you div- multiply out the number of combinations that it could be, yeah, it's seven years. It's going to be something like that. So the Secret Service decides to risk it and they just try Paul's birthday and it works because Paul is like most of us. And how dumb do you feel if you're sled? Because you know that they talked about it. You know that it was two people like you and me being like, should we try the birthday? I don't want to chance it. If I was them, I would bring in like a criminal behavioralist from Criminal Minds yes. and be like, is Paul the type of person was he a narcissist? that would use his... Does that make me a narcissist if I use my birthday? I had a more logical thought though. Instead of being a narcissist picking your own birthday, I think it's just he's not going to remember anything else. Yeah, he's a teen. I think he's just lazy. Yeah. Yeah. So Agent Dove of SLED finds a video on Paul's phone from the night of the murders at 8.44 p.m. This man's name is Britt Dove. I know. And he doesn't have his own show or podcast. That's a shame. Sir, we're going to need you to handle that. Right? Yes. So Paul takes a video of the dogs at the kennels and Agent Dove hears Paul on the video, then hears Maggie say, hey, he's got a bird in his mouth. And that is when Agent Dove cried, I'm here all night. (laughs) And then a third voice that appears to be Alec. And this is the aha moment for everyone. And for the state's attorney to finally indict, because this is proof of what Rogan said, that Alec had been lying the whole time, that he had gone with Paul and Maggie to the kennels where they were killed. And his whole timeline, everything was a lie. So Alec appears in court at this point with a shaved head, and he pleads not guilty. I think he he ran out of pros in prison and he had to shave his once luxurious ginger locks. 
I think he got lice. <laughs> That's probably right. That actually is totally right. Ew. It happens, right? Oh, God, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. That feels like some sort of poetic justice, I have to say. Yeah, it does. I'm glad you got lice. <laughs> so, Katie, tell us what happens uh, at this trial. Well, first, we need to, before we go into anything, need to talk about Creighton Waters. <laughs> That's also a that- name that should have their own podcast. Cause should Brit Dove and Creighton Waters get yeah. like together? Yeah, have a podcast together because yeah. I feel like that would be the that's that's the golden ticket right there. And I'm going to talk about the trial. Yes. So when Alex Alec Murdoch is indicted, he wants to be tried by God and by country. I've forgotten about that. I always forget about that whenever it's a Southern trial that they do that. I would have been fine to forget about it. When he says it, I don't like it. He says it with some sort of a pride that it. I want him out of God's life and country's life. Yeah. Let's get. Keep God out of your damn mouth and (laughs) keep keep this country out of of your your damn mouth. (laughs) So the actual time frame between the indictment and when he goes to trial is six months. And according to Creighton Waters, prosecutor extraordinaire, this is an unheard of timeline for going to trial in a case of this magnitude. I mean, a double murder in six months. It's quite a lot of work. But besides that, it's a mostly circumstantial case. They don't have a lot of physical evidence. We'll more on that later. Basically, what Creighton Water tells Craig Melvin is that you need to be showing the jury. Alec Murdoch is not a logical person. He thinks of this whole thing in an illogical way when he was committing these crimes. So that's how he needs the jury to think. I think that that's probably the case in every murder is that every the murder is not thinking logically. People are always trying to assign logic to an illogical act. Right. Like, why would they do that? I would never do that. Well, you're not murdering someone. Well, you're not right. That's why you're not here. You're, that's why you're in the jury box. Also, he says he needed to show the jury that you couldn't take this one item, this one item, this one crime in isolation. <laughs> two that, murders. Two murders. This one massive crime, the double yeah. murder. You can't take it by itself. You have to look at everything surrounding the case because, okay, I believe we've discussed the storm analogy before that Creighton Waters uses in his opening. Have we discussed it? That this is a storm? I'm sure we talked about it in our previous episode, right? I don't know. Remind me. I'm not remembering. For years, there was a gathering storm of secrets and lies and cover-ups all culminating in this, the murder of Maggie and Paul. Creighton Waters says, and Alec was the storm. The storm surrounds him. But the storm was coming for Maggie and Paul, and they died as a result. Um, He's the storm, or this? St- but this, uh, the storm is all of his crimes. The storm that surrounds been him, but then he becomes he one becomes with the storm. The s- so the storm he, is around him. He is then he. So he's like an X Men. Yeah, not storm because that's copyright. He's the storm, the storm of Alec, okay. and then he's coming for Maggie and Paul. Uh, but it seems more effective to just be like the storm that surrounded him came for them, not that he is the actual. St- I'm not going to criticize Creighton Waters. No, I love him. Do yourself a favor and watch the opening statement of this trial. Watch the prosecution opening statement and the defense opening statement. It's a few minutes of your life, but I recommend doing it. Okay. So the series of events that have happened here begin with, obviously, the boat crash that Paul was involved in. The boat crash is the impetus 
of the swelling storm. Oh, my God. And this storm is about to come to a big head when Alex is going to now have to reveal his financial information in the lawsuit that was perpetuated by that boat crash. Was the movie The Perfect Storm with George Clooney about Alec Murdoch? Is that where we're going with this? Alex is the storm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Creighton Waters also thinks that the most crucial evidence for this case was that kennel video of Rogan. Yeah. True. And this throws the timeline that Alex had given earlier, obviously all out of whack. You clearly hear Alec in the video calling for Bubba, Bubba, come here, Bubba. And Bubba is the family dog who we get an update on at the end of this episode that is Mm -hmm. very sweet. On the stand, they have people come up and actually identify Alec's voice in that video calling for Bubba. We have someone call him Alex Murdoch. We have someone call him Alec Murdoch. I heard Murdoch. Murdoch. I was very uh, Alec, excited about Murdoch. Alec Murdoch. And then we have Mr. Alec. So no one at any point in time calls him Alec. Yep. We have Alex. Mm-hmm. We have Alec Murdoch. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Alec. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the accent. It's, it's just the accent, but it drives people crazy. It's the accent and that name. People like continuity. Yeah, that's not happening here. Yeah. That's not the way this goes. So anyways... <laughs> Blanca is also a key witness for the prosecution in the case. She describes to Craig Melvin that when she walked into the courtroom, she was really nervous and she felt like Alec was trying to look at her and she didn't want to meet his eye. She hadn't seen him in a while and she felt very uncomfortable with this and she just decided not to look at him, which I feel like is smart. Yeah, don't look at him. One of the key points of Blanca's testimony actually centers around the clothing that Alec was wearing on the day of the murder. So gingham, just kidding. I don't know if it's Gingham. <laughs> there were actually multiple shirts. One was one probably, was Lacoste. One was polo. one was Polo. I would say that there's probably a Gingham and probably a striped. Yeah, but we see Alec in the video from Sled from their body cams in a white T-shirt, and that is the T-shirt that Sled takes with them. Is this white T-shirt? But there are other shirts that he was seen in that day, and Blanca describes on the stand that. A few months after the murder, there's sort of a frantic conversation between Alec and Blanca where he's pacing around and he's like, something doesn't feel right about this. Something doesn't feel right. You remember what I was wearing, right? You remember this. He's not asking her, you do remember this, right? He's saying, you remember what I was wearing. It's a downturn, not a question. He pulled out a pocket watch and was like, you remember Pretty much. what I was wearing. <laughs> He's like, I need you to remember this specific gingham shirt, basically. She doesn't say gingham. I'm only assuming that it's gingham because that's his uniform. No, I think he wanted her to remember the white shirt. So they would think that he had been wearing that white shirt all along. You're probably exactly right. So he's trying to convince her that that's what she remembers. And she says she finds that very, very odd. And she says that she feels like she's having heartburn. I think it's sort of a panic reaction when he's sort of barking at her and doing this pacing. And I'm like, that's panic, girl. Mm -hmm. I think that's when she knows something is wrong. And maybe that he's not who she thought he was. It would be a weird conversation if you were just assuming that this man had just been through this tragedy and all of a sudden he's real panicked about making sure you remember something you don't quite remember. Mm -hmm. That would be a weird thing. It's really, really sad. It also could be heartbreak heartburn oh sometimes it's also a movie starring meryl streep and jack nicholson with one of my favorite songs of all time which is really dorky (laughs) 
really dorky. It's called Coming Around Again is the song by Carly Simon. And I, oh, people there's something about this. it that I love. I might send it to you. You're going to hate it, but I'm going to send it to you. So Alec is really clearly wielding this like convincing power that he has, which is only something that powerful men from a line of powerful families with very pale skin can do or think they can do very well. He thinks that he's going to get her to say whatever he needs her to say, which is Mm -hmm. very sad. So because Alec thinks that he can convince people to do or say anything, because that's what he's used to doing in his job, Creighton Waters tells us that this kind of flawed thinking is a perfect example of why Alex was a really good attorney. And he wasn't very good at the academic or technical aspects of practicing law in the courtroom. He was just really, really good at that emotional side. Mm-hmm. So basically, he's really, really good at emotional manipulation. That's mm-hmm. fun. He understood emotions and he understood a jury, how a jury would feel about certain things because he knows how to play more than anything the sympathy card. He's a personal injury attorney. That's the kind of cases that they cover. It's also probably why he thought that killing Maggie and Paul, all this financial stuff is happening. He's getting found out that he's stealing this money. It's all going to come to a head. His first thought is, okay, if my wife and my son are killed, I become a tragic figure. Mm-hmm. I become sympathetic. He's trying to do that for himself with this horrible act. Yeah. Instead it's, of sacrificing himself for right. his family, he sacrificed his family for himself. A hundred percent. And he thought it would be more sympathetic if both of them, or he was only planning to do one, and then he just threw in the second one for more sympathy. I think he was going to kill Paul. Because there was all of this trouble surrounding uh-huh. and he thought, oh, this is going to be look like someone else did it. But I think that he didn't want Maggie to find out about the financial stuff. Maggie clearly didn't know, according to Blanca. Right. And he specifically asked her to come that night instead of staying at the beach house. Yes, he did. So there you go. The last witness that the prosecution calls in the trial is Peter Radofsky, a SLED special agent who did the most incredible timeline breakdown of what happened the night of the murders he used cell phone activity he used gps data to make this timeline so it's just hard cold evidence who was there who was doing what what times are they doing it and for how long it's very smart and craig melvin calls it a digital tour de force oh that's a good one fully agree and the most important information according to agent radofsky was the cell phone information gathered from maggie and paul's phones Basically, their cell phone operation stops at 8.49, which tells you that they were no longer living after 8.49 p.m. It's really sad. Unfortunately, at the beginning of the trial, GM Motors, who is going to give all of the data surrounding the Suburban that Alec Murdoch was driving that night, still had not gotten back to SLED with the details of the activity. And so basically, in the middle of the trial... GM dumps this information and Rudofsky has one crazy all-nighter weekend to get everything together in his timeline because it's a very important part of the timeline and they're going to show us why. But GM was just dragging their feet. I don't know. In CSI, it's always very fast, but I think in real life that stuff is really slow and I think that's why that six-month timeline is so hard. You're just waiting for people to get back to you. You're just waiting for a cell Mm -hmm. phone people okay but he does get this information and the car information from the suburban not only shows where alex was driving it shows the speed of how fast alec was going on the road so 
as Alec is driving to his mother's house that night, remember, he does this weird visit to his mom's after, quote, sleeping on a couch. His car is going 42 miles an hour in the area that Maggie's cell phone is found. So it's assumed that he threw the phone out the window at 42 miles an hour and then speeds up to 70 miles an hour, 70, 75, goes to his mom's, gets there at 922, leaves 21 minutes later and drives 90 back home to Mazelle. Now, when he gets to Mazelle, she stops off the house, drives the car down to the kennel. From the time the car stops at the kennel to his 911 call is 17 seconds. Yeah, that's ridiculous. He said, oh, no, I checked the bodies. I checked them. And they're definitely dead. He didn't have time. He had 17 seconds. Yeah. There's no way. My biggest thing in all this was the mother's house searched. Yes. When? After. But they did find, I thought they had found a shirt or they thought he had put, stashed his shirt there. That's why they brushed over it in this episode. And Craig said, like, maybe disposed of evidence there. I think he does. I think in the last episode, they went over that maybe he had left his shirt in a closet there. I'm remembering they had found something in a closet there. Go listen to Mandy's podcast. Please listen to that. Mandy and Liz, true sunlight. I'm going to have to as well. I have a lot of questions because it feels like the quick drop off of guns and or clothing would have been there that night at 920 when he's at his Mm -hmm. mom's house for 20 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, And her nurse testified. She did. But they don't talk about that in this one. You have to go back to an old episode. You have to go back. But I don't remember if that is talked about. I remember her saying that he sat on the couch and he was kind of being fidgety. Yeah, something about his visit was different. Yes, but I don't remember her saying that he spent a lot of time in an attic or the upstairs bedroom. Well, she said, this is it. She said that he was at the home for about 20 minutes the night of the murders, but days later he approached her and said, I was there for 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, I remember that. And they found a balled up blue rain jacket in a closet on the second floor of his mom's house that was covered in gunshot residue. But they couldn't prove who it was. Who's so they it think was. it was his mom's. I'm just kidding. Of course, it's <laughs> she not did it. hers. Yeah, yeah. That is very strange. I'll have to do some research and listen to the podcast. What's the name of the podcast again? Sunlight. True sunlight, and it True used to be sunlight. called Murdoch Murders. Okay, got it. But regardless, this is a very strong way to end the prosecution's case. Was to do this timeline breakdown because it's kind of indisputable. The defense now which is Jim Griffin and Dick Harpootlian need to make a big splash when they're coming out with the defense's case. Sorry to keep using the storm terminology. He does have Alex stand, which I had forgotten, and looks at the jury. And he's pointing at him and gesturing to him and saying, this is a loving father. This is a loving husband. He's just a gentle giant. Yeah. How tall is he? He's so tall. Look at that face. He's like a baby. He's like a newborn baby. (laughs) Look how pale he is. Look at him. He couldn't do anything. He's fresh out the womb. I don't know why he's having him stand and stare at the jury during this, but it's not a good idea. I don't feel like it makes him look less guilty. No, not at all. I would just be avoiding his eyes. I would just not be looking at him. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's 6'4", and the defense tried to say that it was a 5'2 shooter. Is that why they had him stand? No, I think they wanted him to stand and be like, look at this guy, and he's holding his hands like he's just a poor widow. He's a baby. (laughs) Anyways, regardless, the defense team is going pretty hard against Sled. 
SLED's investigation was faulty. They didn't do their jobs. They go hard on Special Agent Owen, but there is a tragedy surrounding Agent Owen that Craig Melvin talks to him about, which is horrific. And that is that when the trial started, Agent Owen's mother was very ill and went into hospital and she passes away the day he takes the stand. Mm-hmm. That is... That's horrible. Unbelievable. So he's pretty much lead on this case. And to have something like that happen, I can't even imagine the kind of fortitude that it would take to not rip the defense attorney's head off. Mm -hmm. And he's very collected on the stand. So, Mm -hmm. so sorry for your loss, Agent Owen. This is really, really sad. Also, the clip they're showing of Special Agent Owen is talking about the Alameda property, which I don't think is the mother's house, but they're talking about searching it. Oh, wait, I've been searching. This says that Alameda is his mom's property. So it was searched in September. It was searched two, it a was month searched later, but that jacket was still there. So the jacket was there, but they never found weapons. Right. But he drove along a highway where you could throw out weapons. But if they went through with a metal detector for the knife, there's no way, right? They found her phone, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the defense's, I see why the defense went so hard on it. Searching that place late. Basically, they searched it months after the mm-hmm. murders, and they didn't find anything there. Another thing the defense team does is that they obviously attack that the murder weapons were never found. This is a big deal. They went pretty hard on that. Where the defense messes up is that they put Alec Murdoch on the stand. Hands down. This is the worst thing that they could have done. But I don't honestly think they could have stopped him. He was determined to testify. He really thought he was going to be great. Mm -hmm. This is something he thinks he's really, really good at. Mm -hmm. And he's really not. He's really unlikable. He's asked point blank on the stand, I believe we covered this earlier, why he lied about being at the kennels when he's so clearly heard on the audio. And he says, basically, it's his addiction to opiates. And this is when we get the quote about him not thinking clearly. And, oh, what a tangled web we weave. Okay. I mean, it's smart to just say that that's, I think still denying that that was him on the tape would have been really worse than just admitting I lied, it was me on the tape. But that doesn't mean I'm lying about the murder. I was lying to the police because of drugs. Deny, deny. Can we do a role play? Can I ask you? Okay, you're yeah. Alec. Yeah. Oh, God. And I'm I'm Dick Carputlian. I got to pretend I have snot pouring down my face. Miss Kimber, why did you lie? to Agent Blurgity and other Agent Blurgity about being down at the kennels that night. The opioid epidemic epidemic is one that is- Endemic. Endemic is endemic to the problems of this nation that people all across the nation from California to New York, and it is not spared South Carolina. And I had a back surgery- And it got pain pills and fentanyl. And I've been addicted. Oh, just saying words. To, I was on Ozempic and And I got addicted. And that is, I'm so embarrassed of myself. But being a man with weaknesses and an addiction does not make me a murderer. You did not answer my question, Mr. Illick, about why you were at the kennel, and why you lied to these special agents about being at the kennel. Drugs. <laughs> Thank you. Your Honor, the defense rests. 
That's it. <laughs> that should Drugs. have been just the answer. <gasps> so he thinks he wasn't capable of reason at that time. And the judge harkens back to the tangled web at the end of the trial. But for now, Creighton Waters has taken over and he's going to cross-examine. And also, if you really want to watch this, I would recommend that the footage is all over. You can watch his two days on the stand. You can watch the direct and the cross-examination of, of, Al, of Illich. It's a fascinating thing. Creighton Waters says he's lied in this courtroom for years. He thinks he's a really good liar. So I'm going to let the jury watch him lie. So he said it's why he didn't interrupt him a lot and just sort of let him spin his wheels and mm -hmm. let him talk on the stand, which was very yeah. smart. You want to just let him talk because he's just digging himself into a hole. The storm waters are rising over his head. He's hoisted on his own petard. There we go. And he's convicted very, very quickly. The, when the jury goes out, they take three hours to come back with the guilty verdict. More on that later. He is sentenced, I think, Within the week, he sentenced very quickly to life without the possibility of parole or for the rest of his natural life. And this is when Judge Newman comes back. And this is, sorry, this is Judge Clifton Newman, who becomes very important in this story recently. Judge Newman comes and says, you said earlier, oh, what a tangled web that we weave. What did you mean by that? And Alex says, oh, well, I was just lying and I couldn't stop lying. And... This is amazing. Judge Newman comes back with, well, my question for you is, when will it end? It's a pretty good comeback, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this, we've talked about this before, haven't we? No. Oh, we haven't? Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah, probably last time. Probably last time. I'm reiterating it. So this trial has been a national spectacle. And now we get a moment of levity after all of the horrors that have happened here. And we find out that it's causing some interesting fame moments for the people involved, much like Depp v. Heard. The lawyers became very, very famous. Camille Vasquez, Dancing with the Stars, maybe. But I don't did know what people she's doing. craft after that? Oh, Dancing with the Stars. That's way bigger than crafting. I don't know if she's on it, but I would not be surprised. Oh, okay. I thought Camille she was. Vasquez, if she's single, might be the next bachelorette. Wow. So the national spectacle of this trial, Agent Owen gives an account of being in a Costco and someone saying, you know, you look really familiar. Were you on TV? And he just sort of, and they say, wait, were you in the Murdoch trial? And he goes, busted. <laughs> it's really sweet. What happens to Creighton Waters is yarn dolls. So Stephanie, the one who made it, she's Steph J. Truesdale on Twitter. And she said, I'm not sure about Craig Melvin's tone talking about my work, but I guess I can say I've been on Dateline. And then she said, Creighton Waters, I hope you told Craig Melvin I'm very cool and not a crazy person. <laughs> she thought Craig was mocking her yarn work with his tone. Stephanie, I hate to say this, but I think Dateline has done you dirty. Well, Dateline responded, I'm one of the producers and I love your work. That's why we wanted to feature it. And I said, Stephanie, you got on Dateline faster than us and it's in our name. Okay. I think they're cute. And if you make one... Of Ralphie, I would love it. I think it's very funny. And it sort of came out of nowhere. And also, it looked like there was a dog in the background. She, Who is the, is that Creighton Waters' dog? They show Creighton Waters in the front, and then there's a little dog behind him. And I was wondering who the dog was. The dog is, you mean the yarn dog? Yeah, the yarn dog. Is that Bubba? That's Bubba. Yeah. And it has a bird in his mouth, because that's what oh, that's Maggie right. says on the video. Oh, Was she really into the trial? She must have been. Okay. I mean, this is like during Making a Murderer 
remember Stephen Avery's lawyers got like people had their picture up basically. They were like locker, like teen beat heartthrobs for a second. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, boy. So Craig Melvin does sit down with three of the jurors for about 10 seconds. I wish, yeah, we got more. That was not enough. I could not get his name. It's either Jamie McDowell or James McDowell. It sounds like Craig Melvin is saying Jamie, but the subtitles say James, Jamie slash James, Amy Williams and Gwendolyn Jennerette. Now, we only hear James slash Jamie talking. He says that you could feel that he was lying. Alec Murdoch on the stand would have emotions turn off and on like a light switch. Basically, he would be crying one minute and then he would just shut it down and not crying anymore. And they found that very suspicious. That is literally all we get with the jurors. I feel like that middle juror, she had a lot to say. And I, I would like to hear from Amy and Gwendolyn and not Maybe just, I like books. James, Jamie, fine. But can we get a 30-minute interview with, is this going to be one of those extra things? Is there an extra thing on this? No, there was one on Bubba, but I didn't see one on the jurors. I feel like we might be getting more from them later because this case is clearly continuing. We're going to have another episode if something happens here. Right. But the update in this case starts now and it's the last few minutes of the episode now this has been a great episode because we did get some footage we've never seen before and some people we've never talked to before but really the major thing started happening in this case around september alex is clearly doing an appeal of his conviction but his defense team harputlian drops a new appeal for a new whole new trial They are claiming that there was misconduct by the clerk of court and that the jurors had been tampered with during the initial trial. Mm. The gist of this, and we'll get into it a little bit more, is that Becky Hill, the clerk of court, had told the jury not to be fooled by evidence presented by the defense. Dateline is brushing the top of this, but that is the gist of it, is that this person, Becky Hill, had made some comments to the jurors at different points. That which is not her job. It is the opposite of her job, which are problematic. She's Becky with the bad instincts. This is not great. So some of the jury members also have come forward and say they, they felt undue pressure from Becky to come to a speedy verdict. Becky Hill has denied all of these allegations. And in the state's reply to this appeal for a new trial, They said that 10 jurors have come forward and said that no such thing has happened. More on that later. The defense team, by the way, in this appeal for a new trial, also requested that Judge Newman recuse himself from the murder trial and anything related to it. And they cited a few different incidents of why Judge Newman should no longer be involved with the case. One of them, one of the issues that the defense is taking is that there's an interview that Craig Melvin did with Judge Newman on the Today Show where Judge Newman actually gives an opinion on the case, and that is not okay. So Even Craig though Melvin, it's after the case. Apparently so. Craig Melvin asks him, I think it shows a prejudice. So Craig Melvin asks him, do you think that Alex will be haunted by his wife and his child for this crime? And the judge answers, oh, yes, I think so. I can't imagine having a peaceful night knowing what he did. I don't know how much he's allowed to say, but I don't think he's allowed to say that. Which is so strange because judges all the time when they're giving sentencing say what you did was disgusting and immoral and you deserve to rot in prison. Goodbye. I'm putting you away for life. They always make their opinions known. So why isn't he allowed to say it on the Today Show once the trial's ended? I'm not sure. This feels like lawyering and we need law to call us. Yes. Law? 
law. We're waiting for the call and waiting for a reply. So Dateline now says that Judge Newman has recused himself from the murder case of Alec Murdoch, which is not actually correct. He has not recused himself from the murder case. He's not. He has recused himself to one very specific part of this. Not all of it. One part of it. Okay. So I think that happened two days before the Dateline went live. They said yesterday. Right. What Judge Newman recused himself from is the appeal. So this new appeal for a new trial, Judge Newman can't sit on that. Can't Right, um, but that's the murder case. But nothing to do with anything else. It's just this new thing. That's so it's not the whole thing. Like he can hear on other things. He can't sit on the appeal. He can sit on anything with the financial crimes. Yes, he, is he just doing. can't sit on the appeal. Yeah. So it's not the whole case. It's just that part. Alex Murdoch actually did go to court this week for financial crimes where he did a plea deal. He pled guilty. There's a plea. He'll be sentenced later in the month. This episode basically is an update episode quickly for what just happened and really a promo for SLED because we end the entire episode with the SLED SLED agents coming on and telling us various versions of how proud they are of their SLED brothers and sisters. We have one agent tell us that his brother called him. His brother was sitting in a restaurant and overheard somebody say, you know, I never thought that they would convict somebody like Alex Murdoch. And this trial has really renewed my faith in the South Carolina justice system. So he overheard someone talking in a soundbite mm-hmm. at a restaurant, which is very impressive. The chief comes on and I guess he's a little emotional whenever he talks about the men and women of SLED. And Craig Melvin points it out. And he says, look, my folks don't, they don't get enough credit for all the work they do. I get letters, I get calls all the time about how good our investigations are. It really is just a promo for SLED. I think they felt personally attacked by the trial and they were like, we need to go on Dateline and fix our name. I don't think so. I don't think anybody thinks bad about SLED right now. I know. I don't think they're thinking badly about SLED either, but maybe there are. But maybe I need to re-watch some of the documentaries and see how SLED is portrayed. Because maybe there's a few things out there that are big media that didn't portray SLED very well. I think there is a lot of corruption in South Carolina law Mm -hmm. enforcement, as in a lot of states. And this is now, well, it's True Sunlight. Their latest episode is called The Reckoning. Oh. So what's that mean? Lead prosecutor calls out corruption with receipts. So I think there's a lot of maybe change that will come forward. I don't know. But someone has been bullying SLED and they feel badly about it. Maybe TikTokers have been mean to SLED. You know, the internet detectives have been bullying them. We need to go on Dateline. I don't know much about SLED, but I can only assume that there's a certain level of corruption in law enforcement like there is in almost every business. I'm sure there's high levels of corruption in the DMV. In fact, I'm sure of it. Because they've personally wronged both of us. Regardless, we end with Blanca walking on the docks in South Carolina in Hampton County, and we find out that Bubba is living with Blanca. It's amazing. She says to Craig, she doesn't know that she'll ever get comfortable with people like she was with the Murdochs ever again, because they treated her so much like family. And so now she has a piece of their family with Bubba, the dog, who is very, very cute. If I was Buster Murdoch, I would have Bubba 
It makes me very suspicious of Buster. I'm just going to say does. that. It does make me wonder, does he not want Bava? Is he not a dog person? Or can he not have dogs where he lives? All of these things are suspicious that you're saying. Buster's a- gotten in his own trouble. Yeah. Let her live out her days with the family she loves. But I'm glad. I'm so glad that Baba's with Blanca. So um, happy. And Also... She- in the extra footage on Dateline on Twitter, she says that Bubba has received gifts from admirers. People have sent Bubba cards and treats and toys. I'll bet. Bubba is like famous now. No yarn figurine representations, though. I'm not surprised at all. Bubba looks like a lovely dog. So she also still technically tends to the family. She cleans the graves of Maggie and Paul. And there's a beautiful last shot of her there at the cemetery with Bubba. And Bubba lies down by Maggie's grave. And it's very sweet. It's a very pretty shot. And Craig says, so even in death, you're still taking care of her. Oh, Yeah. This was a great episode. Let's get into the nitty gritty. Or do you want to do B-Roll Bonanza first? Or do you want to know more details about the dirt? Oh, yeah. No, more details. Okay, I got some dirt. All right. Not a lot of dirt. Specifically from Emily D. Baker on YouTube, who is who I'm calling when I call law in my head. Emily D. Baker, if you want to watch it, she did a breakdown of the appeals and of the paperwork, basically the state's response to the new trial appeal and the defense's new trial appeal. And Katie wants to be friends with her, so. I very badly do. So if anybody knows her or anything, I will get up the We know someone that knows her. We know someone that knows her and is going to set you up with her. No, I have an email. I just, I have to be brave enough to send an email that doesn't <laughs> sound really wild. The first one was, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Regardless. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Kimberly and Katie from the future. Hello. Hello, magic future. We just wanted to insert a little something here. Just because um, after listening to this, uh, there's something very important that we forgot to say, which is that these are allegations only made against Becky Hill. And until they are proven, we have no idea if this actually happened. So regardless of what the defense is saying in this situation, the if this is not true, what they're alleging, it is awful that they are doing this and dragging her name through the mud. It is mm-hmm. despicable and terrible to be doing this to someone who serves the people. It's not mm-hmm. right. So either way, this is a terrible situation for Becky Hill. Yeah. We just have to watch and see what comes out and what happens. And yep. the the defense is shady, but maybe Becky did make some bad choices. We don't know. We're just um, we don't know. A lot. Of, there are different sides here, and I think you should watch as many videos as you want and listen to as many podcasts as you want if you want a fuller picture and read the briefs. There's a lot of affidavits out there, both from the state and from the defense, from Becky Hill herself. And you can see all of her denials as well. And then statements that the jury has put forward. So decide for yourself. But in this case, again, if it's true, it's bad. If it's false, it's also bad because the defense is dragging her through the mud. So nothing is going to be solved until we hear what the ruling is on this. And if there's going to be a hearing, and then we'll have more to say. So what you're going to hear is us talking about... Uh, a lot of things that Katie heard from different people that mm-hmm. have read 
the affidavits. But I don't want people to think if we're being negative on Becky, it's just because the allegations are bad. But we don't know if they're true yet. Correct. So we'll see. Yeah, that's a really good point. Take everything with a grain of salt. And thank you to our listeners that brought this to our attention. Absolutely. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. On with the episode. Here we go. Here's what I've learned. Becky Hill, the clerk of court, she is basically the manager of the jury, right? That's her job. If you don't Mm -hmm. know what that is, that's what she's there to do is to make sure that they are all taken care of. They have snacks, they have water, all this stuff. She is not supposed to really talk to the jury about anything. It could look very bad. Several jurors that have come forward, specifically what they have said is that before Alec Murdoch goes on the stand, she was giving specific instructions like watch for body language, watch for anything that may feel off to you if something just feels off. How how many jurors said this Two out of the 10 or an alternate as well? I keep hearing several. So maybe there's some alternates. We know that 10 have come forward in the prosecution side. So how many jurors are there? There might be two alternates. I don't there know. There might be. There was also some problems on the jury. I know that at least one person was goodbye. I know that's another part of the issue. I think that might also be in this appeal for a new trial. Has this woman ever been in trouble before this case? No, she's and she's been the clerk of court and is familiar with them. She knows the Murdochs. And many cases that they've been involved with. Right. That would make sense because they practice at that courthouse all the Correct. time. Correct. And maybe had some bad experiences. I would say the biggest problem here is that Bex wrote a book. Well, I mean, you can write a book. OJ people have written books, I think. I think it looks bad in this case. I don't think it looks great. I think it never looks great. But yeah. Especially if you're not on the jury and you're like in charge of the jury. You're in charge of the jury. And you want to retain a job at this courthouse. Right. If you're leaving, then write a tell-all. But this feels, it feels a little weird. Not Um, have an NDA? No. I think you just have a duty that you're, you know, you're a sworn... Officer of the court. Employee of the state or whatever. I feel like... Becky has a lot of things going on. Becky's got irons in the fire. Now, she has denied all allegations of this. So the the deal with the verdict, though, is also interesting. I've seen a few different things from a few different law tube people. What the jurors that came forward about the verdict said was that she told them that they weren't going to get any more smoke breaks until they came to a verdict. See, that is very, that's horrible. That's very specific. That's like when they do get wrongful confessions and they're like, you can't go to the bathroom, you can't have food, you can't leave, you can't see your parents until you admit that you did this. If someone's addicted to cigarettes. There should be some sort of smoke break. But I guess that then someone came back and said that when deliberations start, they don't do that anymore because they don't want several people going out and talking to each other and then coming back in with new ideas. The whole jury is supposed to converse together. Well, then why they have one of the guards stand with each one and make sure they don't talk to each other. Right, 100%. I don't know. It's a little wild. And then the affidavits that were signed by the other 11 jurors. Now, that's what Emily D. Baker in a recent video went over was their statements or their, the 10 jurors that were in the state's response. They each made individual statements. But the weird thing was all of these people are supposed to say, I never saw her 
behave inappropriately. The weird thing that I found is that a couple of the people did mention that they heard her say things like, not don't be fooled, but some sort of instruction before going in to listen to Alex on the stand. Man. You're not supposed to say anything. Look, I feel like Emily D. Baker says it best when she said, I don't know if this constitutes a new trial, but it definitely constitutes a hearing. This should be a hearing. This should be heard in front of a court and there should be people called in. And this should be discussed because it's not okay. Yeah, even though he's a murderer, he deserves a fair fair trial. That's the law. And she should not be doing that. You can't say stuff like that. What could happen, though, is it could draw into question all of the cases she's ever worked on. It could be. It's a little bit like a forensic person getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. It feels like that. It's an officer of the court. Then you have everybody in jail in South Carolina that was in that area, Hampton County, trying to get their sentences appealed. Yeah. So we will see. I don't know if he'll get a new trial, but I was concerned when I first heard it. And I'm still concerned that there's a I chance mean, he could I get a second trial. I think they would find him guilty again. I don't. Unless something was massively thrown out like that video. It's never good, though, because it everybody's shown their cards, right? There's no If the yeah. prosecution doesn't have any new evidence, the right. defense is going to be able to counter better. Yeah. But that's it for Becky Hill. What do you have for B-roll? I have Blanca petting who we later find out to be Bubba on the porch. He's a good boy. He's 10 years old. So he's slowing down. That she's taking good care of him. And we saw Blanca walking and looking out at the water. Oh, yeah. And we saw who I'm calling Sledhead answering a phone. And we saw Owens driving. And then we see this photo of Alec. Who's Sledhead? The chief. Oh, yeah, the chief. Mm-hmm. And photo of Alec and Maggie outside of the Staples Center in LA. And I was dying to know what they saw there. And it's pretty funny because Alec looks super uncomfortable being around LA people. Yeah, I would think so. Holly weird people. The hollow weirdos. (laughs) Yeah. But Maggie looked delighted. We also get sled agents Mm -hmm. looking in files and then we get a zoom in on the files, which is exciting. Did you see the water tower? I missed a water tower. It says Hampton, and then it has a watermelon with a bite out of it. Is that the logo? Yeah. Oh. Watermelon slice with a bite out of it. Take a bite out of crime. Was that not in one of their episodes, their behind-the-scenes local, where Dateline, local town, do you you know what I'm talking about? On Dateline, on their newsletter, and on social media, they do these like little snippets i bet that was like it. and there was the one with this old man selling watermelons oh and that i remember <laughs> it was like a watermelon festival was or it this one it must have been on one of the murdoch it cases. must have been yeah oh that's great we have agent owen is in his corner office and by corner i mean he's in a corner and it seems too tight for him i think he needs an upgrade he nobody needs an puts office. owen in a corner he needs an office with a door yeah and then we <laughs> contrarily have Mark Tinsley, the lawyer that's representing in the financial lawsuit. Yeah. The wrongful death, flipping through papers in his beautiful home office. Yeah. I think Agent Owen should be allowed to work from home. Yeah. Okay, After this? It. Yes. Yeah. After this, he's put hours and hours. He's put his life on hold. Yeah. Yeah. He lost his mother. 
Yeah. Let him work from home. Absolutely. Then we also get a lot of news footage, by the way, but we, the shot of the gallery, they whenever they show the court, the courtroom, there's a gallery shot of all the people sitting and just this shock of red hair, which <laughs> is Buster, Buster Mur- Murdoch. Every time you go, whoa, what is that? It looks like it's dyed. It looks yeah. like mine. It's so red. Yeah, it's so and it's a red. dark red. Like Ronald McDonald. Did you have any other fashion police besides gingham? Maybe he does have freckles. No. Do you have any titles for this case? Yes. Let's go. He really doesn't have a lot of freckles. He is very just, it's very pale. Okay. Yeah. A checkered shirt and past. Oh. That's checkered. a girl. Front seat view to a homicide because they're Great. always in the front seat of the car. That's it. And then this was my favorite. Ginger snaps. Drop it. Right? Drop it. Drop that mic. Yeah. I was pretty proud of myself. That's really, really good. Because I think I've already come up with all mine before. Also, I did just learn that ginger is offensive to some redheads, but I feel okay saying it about Murdoch's. I feel totally fine calling Alec a ginger. Okay. There we go. Going ging ham. Oh, no. did I do last time making a Murdocher? Did I do that I can't. last time? It sounds familiar, but it's really good. So I think you should do it this time. So too. I get it again. Okay. Yeah. And then did I do last time a kennel of truth? Oh, that's good. That's really good. So we had winners all around. This all might around. Be, this might be a golden titles episode, which has never happened before. We're usually both not good at the same time. You no. should maybe just put them all down and then no vote, just like that's what they were this episode. Mm-hmm. Just to mark it on Instagram or something or on mm-hmm. Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because they are they are good. Mm-hmm. All right. Think I'm about really it. proud of us. But not for voting. Don't vote on your favorite. That's hurtful. No, no. And we're, we're not saying... competing for best title. We're a team. We're on we the same team. We all know now we all got crowns. Oh, so follow us on social media. We have so much Wait, fun on Twitter. Oh, what? what did Twitter say? Is Twitter oh. mad? No, Twitter is just a little sick of hearing about this. About Murdoch? Yeah. It is really a shocking case. Thank you, everybody. Follow Emily D. Baker for the just unbelievable coverage of all trials and law stuff. Of all and- trials. She's also covering the Idaho case. Mm-hmm. If you are interested in that case, she covers very specifically the law elements. She is a former prosecutor. Yeah. And very knowledgeable. And very smart. Breaks down the briefs more than anyone else. Really goes through detail by detail and lets you know what's happening. There's a few people on LawTube, which is Law YouTube, that are really phenomenal and very informative. I feel like I learn a lot. I wish I could retain a lot because I feel like I'd be smarter. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Craig Melvin. We find you delightful. Thank you, Craig Melvin. It's nice to see you. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, all of that. Check out our Patreon for more. And be your own Bubba. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Uh, I have an informal announcement. Beep, 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 beep. I know that the expression is not tooth sweet. It's toot sweet after the French tout de sweet or something like that. Sounds good. It's also a song from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. What?
I heard from all of you. I hear you. I appreciate your concerns. I'm still going to say tooth sweet because that's the way I like it. And sweet tooth. It makes perfect sense to me. So I don't Do you want me to cut it? I feel like I should cut it. So stop telling me, but I appreciate everyone selling me so nicely. And I'm not saying that sarcastically. They actually really did say it very, very nicely. Sweetly, one might say. No one was a jerk about it. sweetly? To almost toot sweetly about it. Oh my good! Oh my! Oh, they were so, they gave me a real sweet tooth over here. They were. I didn't even cavity. question it. I didn't Google it. I I assumed that it was too. I mean, I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. We should always Google everything we say. Just we need a permanent fact checker on staff. I generally think you were pretty sure. <laughs> and if you're sure, it's not like me being sure. It's you being sure. So it was like okay. When we it's talked right. about it on our other podcast, A Date with the Bake. We did. And I Googled it just to make sure and found an ex- a shop that was called Tooth Sweet. That's what came up, yep. a candy shop. And so that should have clued me in that that is not the right expression. Why, though? All it does is confirm. It, it, it did. It did, but right. was it confirmation bias? And it really should have made me think, why isn't the expression coming up first? Why is this candy shop coming up first? See, and I would be right there with you. And I would think, oh, the candy shop must be within a 20-mile radius of me. And so that's what's coming up first because it thinks I'm searching for a business near me. Right. I'm on your team. I don't. I just don't think it didn't occur to me that it wasn't too sweet. Too sweet sounds good to me. I'm sorry to any Chitty Chitty Bang Bang lovers. Um, I apologize to Dick Van Dyke as a whole. He knows how I feel about him. Uh, I apologize to the French people in their entirety and linguists. No, we're still going to call it Tooth Sweet. Now it's a thing. Yeah, Tooth Sweet. Yeah. Sorry, French. They'll be fine. They've got, it's their language. They they can do it, but we're just going to do Tooth Sweet as a little funny joke on it. We're just, yeah. that's it. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. We might it's even make, make it's merch. It's not mean to them. We're going to make some merch, and it's going to be a tooth, and he's eating some candy. Oh, yeah. Somebody just rubbing their cheek going, ow. Ow. Yeah. I have a tooth sweet. <laughs> that's the new term for cavity. Mm-hmm. It's, how, it's like, it's a term that like children dentists will use to not scare children. TM. There we go. TM. Although I think it is already trade, no, the the tooth sweet is trademarked because it's a candy from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. But tooth sweet might be trademarked by that candy shop that I googled. But I don't know. I don't think candy stores stay in business that long. I hate to say it. Oh, I wish I, I wish I was wrong. But it feels like every time I go to the mall, it's there's a store closing. Okay, I don't go to the mall that often. So every two years when I go to a mall, there's a candy store that is in the process of closing. Yeah. You're not um, going to the mall every day like that woman, and that was her cover for her affair. And inevitably, when a candy store closes, the only thing left are the black licorice candies. Yeah, that sounds about right. 